Here's Middleton. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh! Run. Two on one. Green the finish. Wow, the alley Turned the corner. Inside! He made Yusuf Nurkic a screensaver. Here comes Murray. Alley up to Gordon. Oh, what a play! All right, joined now by Esfandi Barahini of SDPN Sports covering the Toronto Raptors for us here at the Alley-Oop. Uh, as let's talk about the Raptors, 12-18, and 18, coming off of a great win here. It might be over the Washington Wizards, and now they, did, they do have the tax for playing the Washington Wizards, so the 43 assists that they put up, we'll drop that down to 35, but like it's still a great, great win. Uh, tell us about that game. Funny you say the 43 assist thing because um, they actually set their franchise record against the Pistons last month with 44, and they've had three 40-plus assist games this season, uh, which is it's sort of a testament to the style the Raptors want to play this season under head coach Darko Ryakovich. He is pretty much every post game he is out there talking about assists uh whether they win or lose he's like well we we only assisted 28 times versus we're trying to get above 30 so that's clearly an clearly an emphasis for this team uh and yes it is against the wizards it definitely is against the wizards and you got to take all that with a grain of salt but the raptors did also change something in this game and i think that's interesting to sort of look forward for the next six weeks, which is an all-important six. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it's an all-important six weeks for the Raptors. They switched out Dennis Schroeder, put him on the bench, and started Gary Trent Jr. instead. Um, Their starting lineup was the second most frequent used starting group in the league this season, only behind the Houston Rockets with the Fred VanVleet group. And they were the only negative starting lineup that has played more than 300 minutes together this year. So they were bad. That Their starters were just not good enough. And they were sliding down the standings in December. And so they decided to make a change. And tonight we saw that. Yeah, it's always been interesting. We've talked about the Scotty Barnes at point guard lineup as a possibility, which is really what this is kind of doing, where you've got Gary Trent Jr. is kind of your off-ball guy and Scotty Barnes is handling. But Pascal Siakam was another guy who was handling. I saw you put up 11 assists. That is a yeah. great number, obviously. And when you're, when you're playing a team like Washington, obviously you get a little bit of free reign to do some different things, but this is, I think, a really nice step in the right direction for them, perhaps transitioning into what the future might look like for this group. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. Um, Scotty had the ball more tonight. Even Pascal Siakam had the ball more tonight. I thought OG Ananobi, even in bench lineups, had the ball more tonight. Um, and when you look at like Schroeder, right, his career, he is he has been a really, really good backup point guard for 10 plus years. Like right. he has made an entire career off of being a backup point guard. So he was probably punching above his weight a little bit as their starting guard. Uh, I thought tonight he just slotted in so well, slotted in so well as this, you know, creator off of the bench. He was getting the bench guys involved, playing alongside guys like Otto Porter Jr. and uh, even Chris Boucher and just guys who are able to kind of slot into their spots offensively. Dennis is allowed to cook a little bit more in the backcourt. And the byproduct of that is the starting lineup with Scotty and with Pascal those guys are now being the main ball handlers. They are being tasked with the playmaking stuff on all fronts when it comes to the starting lineup. And you mentioned that, you know, Pascal had 11 assists tonight. I think Scotty ended up with 10 himself. And like, you see the impacts of that. Um, And ultimately, yeah, I I just think they are able to create advantages 
a lot more when it's those guys that have the ball. And I think there's more balance to that starting group now that you have Schroeder being the guy off of the bench doing that. There's a lot more flexibility that you get with uh, where you can have Dennis Schroeder kind of deployed off the bench in advantageous situations, things yeah. that are going to be more impactful for him specifically and, and kind of seeing him as that change of pace guy that can play 24 to 30 minutes off the bench. Yeah. Like that should be the role, I think, where that's that's the idealized version of him. The problem they run into in Toronto specifically, just from my perspective, sitting on the couch over here, is that there's just not enough guard talent right now or in the in the backcourt for Toronto. And even if Schroeder is idealized in that position, like you said, he's he's overtaxed. He's he's put into a yeah. position where it's really tough. But I can see the vision with it. It may not happen this year, but it looks like there is a plan. And I like where it is going, despite the fact that, hey, 23rd in net rating this year, 23rd in offense, 18th in defense. Yeah. This year might not be it, but there are reasons to be happy about where it can go. By the way, I agree with you. I, I completely agree with the sentiment that this is sort of an idea for the future and not for now. Even if you know the byproduct is beating the Wizards by 30, you still got to see how this starting lineup looks moving forward uh, and how Scotty looks as your lead ball handler moving forward. But ultimately, a lot of what you just mentioned actually goes back to how good Scotty has looked so far this season. Um, right. Looking like an all-star level player in the Eastern Conference. Tonight, I believe it was 20 points, eight assists, excuse me, and 12 rebounds, three steals, two blocks, right? His Fantastic. The, like, the deep, yeah, every, I mean, yeah. everything you'd want out of a forward type player, right? Um, the defensive side of the ball is an area where he's taken a massive leap. Just his attentiveness on the help side, the weak side rim protection, just using his length in advantageous ways on defense. And then on offense... Um, I think three-point shooting is the massive thing. He hit four threes tonight, four threes against the Jazz a couple of nights ago. He's been knocking down 39% of his threes all season, which is just a like a, a it doesn't even make sense type of leap. Um, right. And, yeah, and ultimately, I don't know if that'll stick. Who knows if that will stick around? But regardless, he's found other ways to score. He's being asked to be the lead ball handler now moving forward. I assume his usage will go up because of it. And his defense has improved more, like at a, at a massive rate too. So ultimately, it just it looks like he's an all-star type of player now. And, you know, despite the poor record, I think they're 12 and 18 now. Um, despite the fact that, like you mentioned, you know, their net rating, their offensive rating, defensive rating isn't that great this season. The one silver lining with this team is Scotty Barnes looking like an all-star. You feel more reassured, like you said, in the long-term vision of things with this team. I can see a path forward. And the path that I'm looking at right now, I don't know whether Scotty's going to be the best player on the team. I don't know whether, like if, if the, the championship version of this group, mm -hmm. I don't know whether he's going to be a 1A, a 1B, a 2, whatever it's going to look like. But I know that he's up there. And so much of building a team and so much of understanding where a team kind of has to go is about having at least that benchmark of, hey, we can trust this guy. We know that this yeah. guy is going to be in the hunt for winning a playoff series, winning two playoff series, doing all the things that we ask him to do. And he's still so young and you're allowed to be so patient in a situation like this that it's understandable why a guy like Masai Ujiri has taken the long view with, with something of this nature. Um, 
I also sort of just looking at the roster, I can see the Scotty OG Jakob Pertl trio being the front court of the future next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I didn't include Pascal Siakam. Oh, the other, the other side of that equation. Yes, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> seems uh, seems a, a little small little detail of the guy that was the one tie to the yeah. the previous regime and the previous championship team, which it's kind of difficult to see. Like I, I so as as covering the Nuggets, I was able to watch the Nuggets Raptors game very closely. Pascal Siakam looked very checked out of that game. Mm. He looked very out of it when it comes to doing the detail work that the that the Raptors were asking him to do in that particular matchup. That is yeah. one game, one microcosm of a, a long season, but I can sort of see where things might diverge with with this particular tandem, this particular trio with the OG Pascal Scotty trio which has been so central to what the Raptors have done for the last 2 years. What's up with Pascal? Had a great game tonight. Where do you kind of see this going? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. I think there are moments where a lot of these guys feel checked out, uh, and it's not just Pascal. Uh, There are moments where OG feels checked out. I think some of his defenses slid this season, and maybe that's because of the contract stuff or whatnot. There's moments where Gary Trent Jr. has looked checked out, also dealing with contract stuff this season. So I, I do think there is a level of maybe they don't believe in the team as much as the front office is doubling town on this team, you know? Uh, have you ever been in a run, uh, like playing basketball, and you're with a group, and you're like, "Yeah, man, th- this group is not looking good." It ain't happening. <laughs> it's not happening. And 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 then you get on a different team, and you're like, "Okay, all right, this this team can do some. Let's do some damage." It, it you can't help but feel sort of checked out in those type of mo- moments. And as far as the trade stuff goes, I think the contract stuff plays a big part in this. Pascal Siakam is currently extension eligible. They can extend him tomorrow if they'd like to. Yet they haven't. And I think the writing is on the wall there in the sense that they obviously haven't offered him a contract extension, which implies that they are eventually going to be moving him at some point. That's why these next six weeks is really important because, look, they're 11 or they're 12 and 18 right now. They are near the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings and sliding. They have a really, really tough schedule. I mentioned it on Twitter last night, but 15 of their next 22 games are on the road. They are four of nine, four and nine on the road this season. So, and that includes two massive West Coast road trips, 11 day West Coast road trips, two of them Mm. in the next 22 games. They are set up to lose a bunch of games in the next coming weeks towards the trade deadline. And to your point, I do wonder if that means they're going to shake things up in a major way. On top of the, you know, kind of questions that go along with how does the fit work? How does the contractual stuff work? Are you going to double down and pay the luxury tax? Because that's what it would require to sign both Pascal and OG and go over the cap for them. Um, So that's why it's probably going to be one or the other. And to your point, most likely going to be Pascal. Yeah, I just... I like the OG fit. I think that mm-hmm. there is a reason to believe in a Scotty OG Jakob Pertl front court. Like Pertl's not going to be a like he's not going to be your your do all everything kind of guy, but yeah. he is somebody that you need to soak up minutes with, and and he's a guy that you pay a four year what what was it eighty million dollar contract extension? Yeah. Like that's that's a lot of money, and that's a, that's a that is a big thing that you got to do so at the very I, least Jacob is a stopgap option um yeah. 
for when you're transitioning from when Scotty and OG are kind of figuring things out together to the point where they're competing together. And then maybe you can find a new center at that point. But yeah, yeah. overall, I, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, but it's, it's going to be a center is, is probably the big thing. It's kind of going away from the uh, 6'9 club, which is, I, yeah. I, I don't know if that was the the actual moniker that was given to that group, but uh, Vision it's, Six it's the, Nine, Vision Six uh, Nine, yes, is exactly. The... <laughs> there you go. Uh, but it, it does feel like this is kind of the turning point, and where hey, it might be a tough schedule, but if they do rattle off some wins here, and they decide hey, this is something that we want to continue going with, and we like the vision of this, then maybe they're buyers still. Maybe because that was kind of the the turnaround oh, that they had at the deadline last year that I know they a lot of people that. were a little bit unhappy with. Uh, I, I and, would I would I would refute that. I think that would be a mistake. Mm, uh, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I understand. Last year they were twenty five and thirty, and even then I was like, they should not be buyers. They they just weren't in a position, especially given the fact that it was the Wemby draft and all that stuff. Like they shouldn't have been buyers. And yes, they they got Yaka Pertle, but they also limited limited their flex fl- their pick flexibility for three years. Top six protected this year. If it doesn't convert, top six protected next year and so on until 2026. So it's just, it's tough to to rationalize that trade given where this team is at. Jakob is a fine player. Like you said, good starting center on a decent team. But for the price that you coughed up, uh, it's, it's looking like it's a tough trade, especially because, you know, to your point earlier about you, you looking at the front court and saying, these guys kind of make sense. It limited the idea of Pascal and Scotty and OG together because you had to pick two of them. And yeah. and so it makes it a little bit harder to rationalize that trade in hindsight Ooh. versus and you know, in that that's moment. tough. That that's tough. And and I know that that is a frustrating thing because if that did ultimately like was that the reason why this thing ended? Was that the reason like that that particular decision did that have the snowball the butterfly effect of yeah. kind of turning this into something that is really unsalvageable? I don't know. Like I, I hope that that's not the case. I hope that that wasn't kind of a, a part of the plan. But it does feel like something's got to shift eventually. And and honestly, yeah. that's okay because we've just talked about the the backcourt being bereft of the players around Scotty that you need in order Absolutely. to really maximize his and OG's skill set. So maybe this is the necessary evil in order to kind of make that happen. But it does not feel good because you draft Pascal in 2016. He's been a massive part of what you've done for a long time. And I know how difficult that can be. Yeah, I, I could imagine that's difficult for the front office too, to be honest yeah. with you. Uh, and that's why like people ask why the Raptors hold their players so valuably because having players that one, want to stay in Toronto and play and two, have developed in your own camp and become these, you know, all-star level players or whatever, that is a, of huge value to the Raptors. And I think that applies to a lot of franchises that are sort of more focused on drafting and developing versus recruiting. Sure. You really have to value the talent that you draft. Uh, and it just, I think that just goes back to like small market stuff. And Toronto's not a small market, but in the sense that they aren't a free agency destination, you have to consider that aspect of things. It's like they love drafting and developing players. Of course, they're going to value the players that they have drafted and developed. Um, 
And and so like when you look at the next six weeks with this with Pascal, I'm really curious to see what inevitably ends up being the deal that does it. Um, because I don't know. And I know there's suitors everywhere and what they're interested in, but I'm just not sure what the package will be. I so I okay, I wasn't gonna bring this up, but I was doing some work before. Okay. Right. I've been playing around with a Donovan Mitchell trade uh that sends Jared Allen to a third team. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can bring back Jared Allen to Toronto. That doesn't make sense after signing Yaka Pertle. Right. But can something be facilitated where Donovan Mitchell is like, hey, I could be the guy, or at least kind of the guy in Toronto, be the perfect fit next to a guy like Scotty Barnes, do all the scoring while Scotty does the majority of everything else, could be a 1A, 1B situation, and then commit to that. Like that to me, if you could make that happen if you're the Raptors. Is I really intriguing. Sign me up if that was the <laughs> if if that's the deal. And look, the Raptors were in on Donovan Mitchell um, before the Cavs and and the whole Knicks thing went down, so they were interested. Uh, I I guess nothing happened, and I imagine that was partially because they wanted OG on, in on the deal or whatever. But if there's a way that you can, yeah, I mean, if that's even in the realm of possibilities, the Raptors sure. absolutely need to do that. I I, I guess the question I. Not the question, but the type of player, the fit, the mold of the type of player the Raptors should be looking for are players like Donovan Mitchell or players they believe can turn into a Donovan Mitchell. The guard, the dynamic scoring guard that can work off of dribble handoffs. I, I honestly, I've said it a bunch. This is a, you know, obviously you're a Nuggets guy. Jamal Murray would be a perfect type of guard next oh, to yeah. Scotty Barnes. Obviously, that's never going to happen. He's sticking there and he's, it, Denver is where he's going to be home for a while. But <laughs> we're, we're but, holding on to him for dear life, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in general, that type of player is what is going to work really well next to Scotty Barnes. And like, yeah, that should be who they prioritize if they're going out getting Pascal. I'm not saying that's Donovan Mitchell. I'm not saying that's Jamal sure. Murray, but maybe it's Emmanuel Quickly who could turn into that, or maybe it's yeah. um, AJ Griffin who they think can turn into that. I don't know. There's a bunch of different names out there, but yeah, man. Ima- imagine taking Emmanuel Quickly and the notes from the from the New York Knicks. That would be crazy. <laughs> yeah, synergy logins and your six man of the year candidate. Thank you oh very much. God. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> um, anything else you want to cover? Anything else that you think that we should mention before uh, before getting out of here? Yeah, I guess the only thing I would say is that uh, this Raptors team is extremely patient. Uh, They have shown that consistently over the last three years. You know, there's always been the, oh, Toronto is dangling, thinking, comprehending, potentially, you know, all the different words that, you know, reporters use when it comes to contemplating situations in the NBA. The, The Raptors have been waiting patiently. And as much as we have said over the last couple of years where, hey, it's time. It's time they do it. It's time they trade this guy and it's time they do that. They have literally done the opposite almost every single time. So I'm not sure in the next six weeks what will happen. Me and you could both come here and say, well, we agree. Pascal Siakam is the guy that needs to get moved or they have to pick between Pascal and OG. But we don't know if they will actually do it. And that's the interesting thing, because at this point, you know, you got to toss your notes in the air and say, all right, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know? I, I'm so curious, man. This has always been a very fascinating team, a unique team that has approached the game in an interesting way. And ever since winning the championship in 2019, it has been such an interesting, weird path 
to where they have gotten to this point. So I'm hoping that they get through it on the other side and that Toronto fans are happy with the result. I know it's been tough over the course of these last couple of years. And I know the Tampa Bay year was not any better. So like (laughs) there's been a lot to kind of get through, but I I will stress to Raptors fans, you've still got Scotty Barnes. He's really, really good. That is pretty much the end of every sentence in my articles and podcasts for the last month and a half. Yes, the Raptors lose. They uh, horrible loss. This happens. This happens. But also you have Scotty Barnes. See you guys next week. That's uh, pretty much what I've been saying for the last month and a half. So, man. Well, here's to him getting the perfect running mate and whether we can uh, we can talk about that in six weeks or so. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. He is this Fondi Arbarahini of SDPN Sports. Thank you, Ez, for stopping by. We'll chat again soon, all right? Thank you, man. Have a good one.